This is the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me tonight is my good friend Nate Tyson. Nate, how you doing, buddy? Doing great. Oh my god, it, it really threw me for a loop today with the Masters pushing the games all to the afternoon. So like my whole internal Sunday clock now has got screwy again. <laughs> I'm going to get used to these Sundays one day and actually be like prepped for to watch all these games. So this is to be careful what you wish for sort of yeah. situation because all the time I always complain that there aren't enough games in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. why would they do 10 and 3? And I know it's for TV and whatever else. But I've been w- asking for this for years. And then it comes up and it's split half and half and I hated it. Yeah. I hated it because it's just, there's a level of franticness in the early slate. And when yep. it dies down late, it's like, oh, this is nice. I'm yep. an, I can exhale. I can calm down. There's only three games on. I can sit back. They're usually the better games. Mm-hmm. Today, none of that. Not quite as frantic as it normally would be during the early slate of games, but just enough where it was going the entire day. Scott Hansen's way too energetic for seven yeah. straight hours instead of three and a half. I don't think I want this all the time, and I'm sorry that I complained in years past because now that I've seen it in all its glory, I think I actually like the normal setup better. We, I mean, we've gotten everything this year. We got doubleheader Monday games. We got Tuesday games. Uh, it really has been an of, experiment. It, it's been it has. like the proving ground for different sorts of scheduling in the NFL because of strange COVID things. And yeah. maybe I'm just a creature of habit, but I like the way that it used to be. I, I like how I well, the way it normally goes. The Tuesday night game has still screwed with me so much. Never like again. Just never, never again. again. I, when I worked at Pitt, when I was a GA there, we had a Wednesday night game and that messed me up because just everything's <laughs> off we went from i think a friday night game to a wednesday night game because that's how the big east was we were in the last year of big east at Pitt, and oh my god that wednesday night game against syracuse i still think about it because i was just like tuesday night we're traveling like just weird just weird i don't know uh, yeah still not used to that imagine if you played in the mac for four years just the travel <laughs> schedule you have to get used to so a wild day and there's a lot to get to we're going to talk about you know, the Dolphins' big win. We're going to talk about really a lot of stuff going on in the NFC. We're going to talk about Ben Roethlisberger having a really nice day, the Steelers staying undefeated. We're going to talk about your boy Drew Locke a little bit. Tons <laughs> of stuff that we're going to eventually get to. I want to start, though, with easily the craziest part of that frantic day, and that was that finish in the Cardinals game. I mean, at a certain point, you just kind of in your mind, like, all right, this is over. You know, it doesn't, they'll throw a Hail Mary, but this is over. It's been a long time since we've seen one work. There's been a few of them this year. But even if it's Kyler Murray making a play, even if it's DeAndre Hopkins making a play, you just kind of write it off. When Allen hits that throw to Diggs in the back of the end zone, which was beautiful, by the way, Mm -hmm. it's like, nicely done. Great win for the Bills. Come on the road. Cardinals didn't have their best game, but you have to beat good teams on the road if you're going to do what the Bills want to do. Huge win for them. Then... All of that goes out the window. When that ball was in the air, did you think it had any chance of being completed? The fact that he even got it off, I was shocked. Yes, because yes. I mean, I mean, the, the Bills did. Uh, I tweeted this, but Bills did everything perfect. They blitzed from the right hand side, so Kyler couldn't escape contained to the right. He had to go to his left. He had to break a tackle, and he was spinning. And then he was managed to just torque his body and still throw it 50 yards, like just perfect arc. Of course, it's the best 50-50 ball winner and one of the best deep ball throwers in the league. So it's like, (laughs) if anyone were to do this, this is a pretty good pairing to complete a Hail Mary. I didn't think the ball would get off. No way I thought it would be completed. Literally, as the ball got snapped, my phone texted. I glanced down. All I saw was Hopkins. So and then so I was like, uh, okay. And then all of a sudden the play happened. So I got I had a quick spoiler before, but my brain doesn't work fast enough to kind of put together what was about to happen. The throw was amazing, and him drifting to his left, and it, it was a throw that very few guys can make. And it's always so funny when he uncorks those deep throws. This little mm-hmm. body, it's just it looks cool every time it happens. And this was the perfect chance to do it. So the photo of Hopkins going up to get the ball is amazing. I mean, it's three guys. They all have their hands on it. Somehow he comes down with it. So I don't know if I've ever even told you this. So like four years ago when I was working at the ringer, I went to Houston. I profiled DeAndre Hopkins and I hung out with him all day and they did a photo shoot at this beautiful house in like the woodlands, which is like a suburb outside Houston. And then we got lunch. I can't remember where it was. It was like a steakhouse, like a strip mall, which is not surprising in Houston. 
And we were just alone in this back dining room. We sat out there for probably an hour. And we talked and we talked about a bunch of different stuff. And his hands came up. And his hands are huge. I posted the picture yeah. on Twitter. So when you look at it, he has 10-inch hands. But what's really strange is why they're big. And there's just a huge gap between the bottom of his, of his fingers and the top of his palms. And it creates this natural webbing. And I, I talked to Taj Boyd for the story. And I always loved his quote that he had. He said, I think that God truly makes people for certain things. Michael, Michael <laughs> Phelps has that long torso with a short body, with stumpy mm-hmm. legs and webbed feet. He's built to swim. Nuke has these super long arms, big hands. Shit, I don't know. He's just built for this. And when you see him <laughs> catch that ball in that moment, he literally was put on earth to catch footballs like that. And he has been amazing for them. I mean, he's been everything they wanted him to be. He's one of the best players in the NFL, and he comes up with a huge play in a huge moment. Truly one of those rare guys that that's just unguardable. Yeah. Just like an unguardable guy. He's not a yak monster, but he gets it. Like he'll get an extra five, 10 yards, but he's a guy that truly wins on every route that like, so who cares, you know? And I still cannot believe he's six one. That's like the thing that just still blows my mind. It's like every time I watch him, he's like, okay, like if you were just to watch him for the first time, be like, that guy looks six, three, six, four. Easy. Cause that's just how he played easy. Yeah. And he just plays like a, I don't know, like an undersized power forward just banging down there and just like he just plays bigger than he is and he's just such an anomaly. Like he never he didn't test well coming out. He's just one of those guys that just is a football player. And yeah, just one of the best guys to watch in the league. It's so funny because he only wears size 13 shoes. He's not yeah. that big of a guy, but his hands are just it's it's crazy. It's, it's Jack Skellington yeah. hands. It, it's like, so just. straight. God, Jack Skellington hands. So that game from the Cardinals, just uh, talking about it on a kind of broader level. What I was really impressed with is that they won that game without playing their best game. They were disjointed on offense. You know, a couple of their early red zone positions were kind of ugly. Think about some of the turnovers, the Fitzgerald interception, so fluky. Yeah. The so Kenyon, fluky. the Kenyon, it, both of their turnovers. The Kenyon Drake fumble, he it squirts out like seven yards yeah. ahead of him, and it, it would have been down the field. Like it would have been a good play. It was just like, yes. yeah, like you said, it's just a whatever (laughs) they had two of those fluky plays they had a couple kind of drive altering penalties and they still won and i think that that speaks to where they're at right now obviously this is a team that's playing much better defense than people seem to think and their offense has really been lifted by kyler murray so i want to ask you this and i i don't want this to seem too reactionary because it was a huge game they won in an exciting way do we think that kyler murray should be in the mvp conversation and this is a two-pronged question can he win or should he be in the conversation to win the ap most valuable player award which is the the award given Mm -hmm. out based on narratives and everything else or he should he be in the conversation for one of the most valuable players in the nfl this season those are two different things so pick which way you want to go with this i would go with the second one saying that he's one of the most valuable players yes but i know but yes because i mean he truly is that (laughs) offense making it go i mean just how he turns okay plays into good plays and then good all the time explosive plays like what should be a five-yard gain is a touchdown what should be a loss is a is a first down like he like things that are blocked well he fully takes advantage of of them and then like you know that's the saying with like uh with run plays is on the running back you got to make that guy miss he he makes the guy miss at the quarterback position and usually it's a safety going like uh coming from the side because he's like oh shit quarterback's got the ball and i got to make a play on him but he's i mean he's he's their whole team i mean i mean they're getting better around him obviously deandre hopkins is ridiculous but kirk's doing fine things and the backs do fine things but he truly is that whole offense and just is so an incredible talent like just a unique skill set that is maximized it looks like because they run the ball well with him and they're throwing this deep stuff with him that's that's just fun um and as far as like the ap mvp uh, I still think Mahomes is the pace setter, but he should start getting some love, I think, as in the national discussion. We'll see what happens and how much ground he can make up in the award discussion. But if we're talking about the most valuable players in the league to their team, he's right there with anybody to me. Because yeah. like you said, he makes that offense go. He answers questions for them. When they do things wrong, he makes them right. The decent plays become great plays. And I'm thinking of, again, in the red zone today. So much of their red zone approach just looked disjointed and kind of off and they didn't really know what they wanted to do until he was running the ball. When they changed the math down there near the goal line 
and he becomes that extra rusher. He's incredibly dangerous by virtue of his presence and what the way it changes the numbers. But his ability to get around people, to skirt around people, to just make people miss, it's really, really impressive. So they came into this game fifth in the NFL in touchdowns per red zone trip. Largely, I think, because of what he can do mm-hmm. down there. He's seventh in the NFL in EPA per play right now. I mean, there's no reason why he shouldn't be a part of this discussion based on the way he's playing and based on the success that the Cardinals are having. I mean, you could absolutely make an argument that he's as important to Arizona's offense as Russell Wilson is to the Seahawks offense, as Patrick Mahomes is to the Chiefs offense. Even if Mahomes is the most valuable player in a vacuum because he's the best player, Mm -hmm. I still think to their approach... Murray is is just as valuable to what Arizona is doing right now. So this game puts the Cardinals at six and three and leading the NFC West, which now has three teams at six and three log jammed at at the top of the NFC West. So I want to unpack just this very knotty tangled NFC playoff situation as we kind of get into the back half of the season here. If you're looking at this group, at least every all every team has at least two losses. The Saints are seven and two. The Packers are seven and two. Everyone else is coming up just behind that. Anybody can win this conference. Yeah. If you had to pick a team right now to win the NFC, who would it be? I'm picking the Rams. Wow, you've been on yeah. this for a while. I respect I, your commitment to this. I, I really I'm do. Sticking with it too. They just. They just are on, on on top of everything. They're in front of trends and in front of what this league does, and they know what they are. Offensively, we know what McVay does. Everyone loves it, especially on Twitter, and we kind of see all the play callings every week. But defensively, too, just the the variables that they bring and the difference that they bring. And it's not overly complex. You know, they're running this match quarter stuff and then rotating the safeties down sometimes. And the front they're doing, which that that college influence front, what what you know, tight meant. There's some subtle differences where the stand up linebacker is. That's like a three three five. Uh, that's built in like a three four. It's kind of like a new way to combat RPOs and more spread spread offenses. Explain yeah. that. Why is how is it a three three five that's built into a three four? So so okay. So a three three five. You got the three down linemen who are going to play more of a head up technique uh, on the front. And then they'll have a stand-up linebacker. So really, it's four down. That jumps out to you. When you watch them line up, so they were doing it today, especially early. Donald was Mm -hmm. lined up at defensive end, and then they had another guy. But those guys were head up over the tackles rather than outside of them. It's jarring when you look at it. You can notice it. But continue. it's it's because it, it, it's almost like a, a shift like you it's mm-hmm. like shifted to a side I don't know whether it's field or strength or how they do it but what they're doing too with the head up stuff it's really hard for offensive linemen to get their double teams it because they're it, they have no cloth to work with so those guys are head up as opposed to a gap if a guy's in a gap between like a guard and a center both guys can get a hand on them real quick because it's real right in between them but as opposed to a guy head up you're creating one-on-ones and when you have guys like Aaron Donald getting one-on-ones every play and guys like Leonard Floyd who are stepping up and that's not even including two is they're doing this quarter stuff where the safeties can drive down it's the NFL has been more of a single high league the past eight ten years and the quarters is becoming more and more common throughout safeties have to play the run and the pass they're putting a lot on and it's also because of how many crossing routes are kind of taking over the league right now and that's honestly it was it was interesting to watch today how much single high the Seahawks were playing and they would walk Adams down, and he'd essentially be a third linebacker, and they're playing with Diggs as that single high safety, and the Rams are just killing him on crossing stuff behind it. And I'm sitting there like, have we not watched the other teams that have played the Rams and the Panthers and stuff this year? It, the, all yeah. that too high stuff where you're cutting those crossers is exactly how to slow them down, and the Seahawks just weren't doing it for the first half. Yeah. Yeah, and that's how the Rams were catching the Seahawks because the Seahawks yeah. like to do that as well with Metcalf burning across or yeah. Lockett burning across. And so now... Well, on top of that, where they're able, they have Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey, who's just a game breaker for him. They, because he can lock down DK Metcalf, and then they can just, with this too high and rotational stuff, they can rotate to bracket everybody else, cone everybody else. And then Jalen is just big enough, strong enough, athletic enough, has the football IQ to just take a guy like DK just completely out of the game. They popped up the one stat, uh, middle of the third quarter. It was like he had 17 routes, zero targets. Like Russell couldn't even target him at that point. And that's, that's, that's a game breaker. That is, and they also can pressure. They had a really nice simulated pressure where they only brought four off the slot, but they manipulated how the offensive line slid. So the right tackle got wasted. They had a free runner and they can do that or they can bring five because Jalen Ramsey can just lock down the number one guy. 
And that's what a guy like that lets you do. You can just do so much when you have these queens on the chessboard. They have two. They have, they have two. <laughs> Do- they have Donald and they have Ramsey. And that's, yes. it's really, when you watch them, it's so clear. And that's why I like watching their defense so much. One, it's, there's so much stuff that they're doing that other people aren't doing, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. I also think that they're really mixing up the fronts. I mean, there are yeah. so many plays where you're just like, what the fuck are they doing? Like, it's very <laughs> hard. From play to play, there's a ton of variance to the way they line up. And it's as sure as an offensive lineman as a quarterback, it's hard to get a handle on. But they use Ramsey to dictate what they can do on the back end. And then they use Donald to dictate what they can do on the front end. They know how much attention he's going to take up. They know how he's going to cause the center to slide one way or the other. There was a one sack that they got that Floyd got where they were lined up in just a normal four-man front. Donald was lined up in the A-gap on the left side, but he crossed the guard's face. So the guard went with him and the center was already going that way. And they dropped the defensive end out. So they have four guys blocking two. And then the right tackle was alone on a blitzing yep. linebacker and Floyd. It's over. And I, I this, this is getting a little bit naughty, but I think the real main takeaway here is that I think right now, better than any other team in the NFL, the Rams change the math on offense yep. and defense. And they do it with what Ramsey does. They do it with Donald does. And they do it consistently on offense. The ways that they can get a blocker here, a blocker there. There was one play I pointed out on Twitter where Cup just did a fantastic job on this little Malcolm Brown cutback of crossing the defensive end's face and essentially scooping him as the backside blocker on a run play. They're so good at figuring out ways to do that. The ways that they can get to certain route concepts by certain motions. It's just, it's the same stuff everybody else does. They just do it like in one step. They do it one step further. And I yeah. think, in, I was talking to Sean McVay about this a couple weeks ago for a story I did, and he was mentioning the math thing and changing the math. And you can just hear when he talks about stuff, this is a place where the question, well, why don't we do it this way, comes up all the time. And it really manifests when you watch them. And I think that that's why football people like you that are interested in where the game is going and these tiny little wrinkles enjoy watching them play because they're at the forefront of this stuff. Yeah, the it's so it's so great what you just said too with the why don't we do it this way? The play that I always freak out about because it was an adjustment they started making when teams were actually it was Fangio running too high stuff that was the quarter stuff and the six one that we heard about a hundred thousand times. But what they countered with that was a wideback play. And how they did it, usually it's a tight end that's doing this. I think I've talked about this before, but they did it with the receiver. They usually do it with cup coming across. And that's just unique. I, I The Saints have copied it a couple of the, uh, I think the Colts copied it once this year. So teams are starting to copy it, but it shows rather than just beat their head against the wall and go, no, this is our stuff. We're going to freaking do it, damn it. They were like, no, let's try something new. Like, hey, Wineback's a good counter for what we do. Wow, we always go in 11 personnel. How are we going to do that? Well, we got pretty good blocking receivers. So now they're wrapping cup around like a polar and it's like that's pretty cool stuff like that's what you said it's like i love those little counters to the counters to the counters single high offenses start running overs what a defenses do they start running quarters and it's just i love seeing these trends and the rams are in the forefront of both both sides of the ball so i agree with you that they're a complete team they're good on offense they're good on defense they came into this game leading the nfl and epa per play on defense i assume that they'll stick right to that pace after this game because they played against a very good Seattle offense. Yep. Golf also had a good day today. 27 to 36 for 302 yards. I counted at least four drops in that game. His guys did not help him out a lot today. I thought he was very good. Mm -hmm. My question though, when they have to play a drop back, when they're put into a situation they don't want to be in, like for example in the Miami game or some of the Mm -hmm. games we've seen in the McVay golf era, can they still keep up? when they're put out of their comfort zone. And that's why, in my opinion, if I were picking a team to win the conference right now, it would still be Tampa Bay. Because I think they have an offense, they have a defense, and I trust Brady to be that problem solver in a way that golf can't be in those high leverage situations. And I thought, you know, we're just going to explain it away. It's like, oh, they beat the Panthers. They beat the shit out of the Panthers today. <laughs> beat the crap out of them. <laughs> and, I, I really enjoyed it. Someone on Twitter, I, I wrote about Todd Bowles this week and how we should probably be giving him a second head coaching look based on the job he's done as yeah. a defensive coordinator. Guys have gotten their second job for much less. Just ask yeah. the people in Dallas about what's going on right now. And th- somebody said to me, it's like, oh man, the Bucks defense is playing great today after they gave up like 17 points. 
The Buccaneers gave up 35 yards of offense in the second half today against a team that came into this game ranked eighth in offensive DVOA. They stumped a really good Carolina team, and they looked really good on offense as well. And Brady, that with that collection of weapons, I think they're really dangerous. And there's the fact that there are no complete teams and no truly dominant teams in that conference. I still just think when you consider the coaching they have on both sides of the ball and the pure talent they have on both sides of the ball, Gronk was getting involved. He had a 44 yard catch today. Antonio Brown was doing some stuff. Mike Evans played well today. Chris Mm -hmm. Godwin, just think about all the names. And I, I don't, don't want to seem like I'm getting too caught up in that because I think that I'm guilty of just, you know, deferring to the talent too often but i still think that what they have top to bottom plus the way they put their guys in the right positions i still think they're just as dangerous as anybody and i think the saints are probably right there too but now we have a pretty big question about the saints so a couple more things i want to hit about the nfc here how far could the saints possibly go if drew Brees is seriously hurt Jameis Winston comes in today. By everything they've said, Breeze said it was a cumulative thing that had to do with the rib injury he's dealing with. He told Sean Payton he couldn't play in the second half. We'll see what the diagnosis is. We'll see what the prognosis is. My understanding is he's getting an MRI on Monday. If Breeze is done for extended time, how far do you think the Saints can go with Jameis at the helm? I'll say one thing. I'm glad their defense has started stepping up. Because that's, I mean, it, but that's part of this. That's part of yeah. this, though. I, I still think they they are a top-tier team. I think, yeah, they take maybe a half-step back of what they do. It's just going to be it's just gonna be a fascinating like thought experiment. Not even thought experiment. It's going to actually happen, it looks like, at least with Jameis back there. Because he's just a total wild card. What, what was crazy to re-watching it even uh, afterwards after they played was seeing Jameis' footwork become so like almost Drew Brees like it was just so much quicker and tighter and more consistent so that was kind of like tantalizing to see but then also you see Jameis also <laughs> doing his thing where he hits an intermediate defender and he took two sacks and only like 10 dropbacks so it's like okay so that's gonna be the difference while Brees is hit they, they win with Brees by Brees they run the ball and Brees is super efficient with where he's going with the ball and his precision precision it is just they slice you up knife you down and it's just like it just beats you with a thousand slant routes and and choice routes you know that's what they're doing with Jameis, it's gonna be almost more of that sean payton of old where they're running these over routes that we were just talking about where it's post and overs it's y cross that's the stuff that sean payton used to do with breeze they would just get into 12 personnel 21 personnel run play action and it would just be an over and a post just old school i think uh just cross country and stuff they might start doing that more with Jameis because now they can attack down the field um it's just it's just going to be interesting it's going to i'm really curious to see how this goes it's a mesh of styles it's interesting to talk about with qb development especially if we see Jameis starting to do some things but i still think they're a good team i i I think their defense is improving i think they're still still one of those top tier teams and a contender i think Jameis is gonna just be a little bit of a wild card so a little bit of tbd too (laughs) i still think they need breeze to even be close to the team they can be because I think that what we saw from them last week is the best version of them and that requires just way too much like we said precision and and Breeze just being surgical in the way that he plays the position in a way that Jameis can even if Jameis could make them theoretically more explosive I still don't think their personnel aligns with that sort of approach offensively I still think the types of guys they have just fits better with the way that Breeze plays maybe I've just seen it with Breeze for too long and I think Teddy Bridgewater kind of did his did best impression. Breeze impression last year when he was in the game. <laughs> yeah. So maybe that's just a lack of imagination for me, but I still feel like they need Breeze to eventually hit their ceiling. And I still don't know if that ceiling is as high as what the Bucks can bring. So talking about the Rams, impressive win today. And I think that coming out of that game, as much as I was impressed with the Rams, I have some pretty big questions about the Seahawks because obviously their defense is a concern. And if their defense is going to continue to be a concern and their offense isn't putting up points to keep pace with all these teams, have we run out of kind of Russell Wilson fairy dust here in Seattle to the point where the Seahawks just aren't the team we thought they were over the first month and a half of the season? Yeah, they're, their defense is just very not good. Uh, <laughs> um, like last year, they were, they, they were awful against like nakeds, uh, you know, with bootlegs and they never fixed it. 
And so that was pretty worrisome because it's like, that's pretty, not something easy fix, but it's manageable to fix if it's happening throughout the whole year. And we're just seeing that more now, but it's just the entire defense, especially against the pass. Russ has to be perfect. Like he has to be like, he's on pace for what? 50 something touchdowns. And it's not like the usual 50 touchdowns, high stack guys that get there. Like we're Mahomes or, or, you know, Brady, Peyton Manning. They're just shredding the league on these teams that are just juggernauts. This is more of the truly like shootout Drew Brees style offenses of, you know, the mid 2000, 2010s, you know, where they're winning all these. <laughs> I mean, they're a little better version, but that's what it's going to have to be. Russ just has to be Superman for them, but it's, like you said, when you play a team like the Rams that are just on your stuff and can lock down DK Metcalf, it's and Russ can't get into his quasi scramble drill plays. It's a little worrisome. They're still a good team. I think that offense is still a plus unit. Uh, but yeah, this was a kick in the teeth for him. It kind of reminds me. You mentioned Breeze. It's almost like those teams with the garbage defenses that those Saints teams had like in 2012 where I think they were 31st in scoring and in that season Breeze threw 43 touchdown passes but he also threw 19 interceptions because it feels like he has to do so much and that's kind of what it feels like for Seattle right now and the two picks that he threw the first one in the back corner of the end zone on the throw to Disley do you see that play it was just kind of a weird decision by him because they had it and I think Mm -hmm. Matt Bowen pointed this out they had Olsen clearing it out and they had Disley coming back around down the sideline. So they were the Rams were in quarters coverage and they had that corner. But Wilson, for whatever reason, waited on it and then stepped up even further and threw it super late so the corner could fall off of it. And then the one he threw on the right sideline, that's just a great play yeah, by the same play. corner. But it still is a throw he probably doesn't make if he doesn't feel like I need to be Superman. I need to keep making these plays. And it does seem like we're drifting into that territory. And listen, their offensive line looked a lot worse than it has all year today because a lot of the stuff the Rams are doing, DK Metcalf is not going to have to play against Jalen Ramsey every single week. (laughs) We're going to see better versions of the Seattle offense, but these are the types of teams they're going to have to play when things start tightening up here down the stretch when we get into the playoffs. And if this offense can't carry them, I think we have plenty of evidence that shows us that the defense will not be able to withstand these sort of big games that they're going to be in when it really matters. It's just funny. It's like just the continuation of like what we see. And it's like every week I'm like, Seahawks, they're going to get better on defense. They're going to get better. It's not happening. And it just doesn't happen. It's just like, nope, that's that's what we saw last week. Well, I mean, you (laughs) see that. And it's like a team like Dallas. Remember, Dallas was a nightmare early in the season. And defense typically tends to come back to earth a little bit. And guys, teams figure it out. They do not seem to be figuring it out. And I'm not sure that they're going to here because Adams is back. Dunlap's in the yeah, lineup yeah. now. If yeah. our argument was no going to be they needed to get healthier, they've gotten healthier and the results haven't gotten any better. Yeah. All right. Let's get to who won the week. Just win, baby. My first candidate here, a man that I would say we've besmirched him on the show this year, but I, I think that we've been very measured in our compliments because of what they've he's been asked to do. And that is Ben Roethlisberger. Really nice day for Ben Roethlisberger today. I know it's the Bengals defense, but I still thought he played extremely well. 27 to 46, 333, four touchdowns, and asked to do more than he had been for a lot of this season when you consider the way they were spreading the ball around, what they were doing. When you watched Roethlisberger today, did you see more from him than you have at other points this season? Yeah, like uh, the downfield stuff was... It was. It's been before. It's sprinkled in, but it was like once a game. And this game, it was like, no, we're gonna. And punch it seemed you, like it took all of his energy and oh might to get the ball down the field. Have you noticed that? Like every throw now is just like a dart throw. Like it just looks like it's just like he's just like darts everything. It, it could look. It could be a slant route. It could be a screen, or it could be a twenty-yard go ball, like back shoulder. It's goal all ball. going like they, down. Yep. It's just, yeah. It's just it all, it all dies at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It's really it just, funny. Ra- I think he just raises his arm up to go a little further or down like a mortar. Like that's how he's aiming his stuff. But <laughs> but it's it's promising it's to so see. It's so true. It's so it? true. Even like <laughs> even like the slants near the goal line somehow tail off near the end and like hit a guy on the hip. It's working. I don't mean to like shit on Ben Roethlisberger, but it definitely does look like that right now. He threw a slant route and it, he threw it out so early that the receiver wasn't even looking on the slant, which is like so hard to do because he threw it so early. But it wasn't like it, like the throw 
got there way out in front or anything because he led him too much. He threw it so early and it still was like behind the receiver <laughs> because <laughs> the ball was just dipping down on it. Hey, it works. It works. It went for a touchdown. So I, yeah, I was going to say he also has some of those, funnily enough, like Rivers, you know, his draft classmate, those, oh, no, no, no. Okay. 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 Yeah. Good job. Good job, Big Ben. Good job. <laughs> and there was a lot of right that today. Him. And I thought he did a really nice job today against the Blitz. Oh, yeah. several times today, there the one of the the touchdown in the back corner of the end zone. There was a guy hanging on him. He drifted out of the pocket in smart ways, away from pressure a couple times today. And I thought he did a very good job playmaking in some of those high leverage situations, third down, red zone. So I looked up the numbers today because I was curious. I was like, I wonder how good he's been in the red zone this year. Because just anecdotally, it seems like he's had a lot of pinpoint throws. They've been really good inside the twenty. Ben Roethlisberger leads the NFL in EPA in the red zone among quarterbacks this season. And nice. it shows up. And it today does. was another perfect example. I mean, they, they're, they've run this concept a lot where they have like a little sit in the middle of the field to hold the safety and just a little inbreaker from number one on the outside. And they had it, they've hit it to Johnson a couple times for touchdowns. Mm-hmm. They did again today. He's really quick and precise with that throw and has been. But those are the things we've saw, seen all season. The two things that jumped out to me today that we hadn't as much where the playmaking one we talked about and pushing the ball downfield a little bit. I mean, the one he hit to Johnson down the left sideline, it's a perfect ball. Beautiful. It's a gorgeous throw in traffic with somebody in his face, and he's making it happen. So I thought he played great today. And then the other kind of deep shot they had down the field was that fake screen where Juju released. It was like the exact same play the Saints scored a touchdown on last week. So yeah. if you want to manufacture deep shots for your aging quarterback, just run fake shield screens and then have a guy release down the field. The one benefit of the receiver screens that everyone hates is that you get to run that play. Like, yes. <laughs> that yes. You get to run the pump play off of it. That Okay. There's the benefit of it. He also threw so, like a beautiful, we make fun of his arm straight though, but he made like threw a beautiful field out to Claypool on third and yep, 10. Yep. And it, and, but it's he's so accurate and early that it's like, it just, he gets it done. Yeah. He's, he's, he's doing good shit right now. So the Ben Roethlisberger patented pump fake, the one touchdown he had to Claypool, he pumped it so hard to the flat that the linebacker fell over. Which I was like, oh man, because he was trying to break on it, right? Yes, (laughs) and there was a lot of that kind of vintage Ben Roethlisberger stuff. That was the pump fake making plays, the little floater he had to Ebron. That was like he just popped it over a guy and just started laughing. My favorite play of the day, though, was easily the reverse to Claypool, and Roethlisberger was like. All right, maybe I'll block somebody. Maybe I'll block somebody. He's like, nah, I'm good. And then he taps out. Yeah. He was really thinking about it, but the prudent veteran that he is pulled back, made the right choice, lived to play another day. I love that clip because it just proved that my, I said that earlier this season that Big Ben runs like somebody that's hurrying across the the crosswalk when the light starts flashing and he's just like oh like that's how he runs and that play was just like the perfect example that was like exhibit a right here (laughs) especially the tap out right at the end like it's just perfect i mean it's a 36 10 win against a not good Bengals team but another convincing win and the steelers are undefeated I mean, yep. at a certain point, they keep rolling, and their defense played great today. I mean, they drove Burrow nuts, and mm-hmm. that's going to happen. He's a rookie quarterback playing against a really good defense, but they ate his lunch today, and they just continue to do it. Their defense is playing fantastic, and their offense is doing just enough, and when Roethlisberger is averaging 9.37 air yards per attempt, they look like they can do some stuff. And if they keep winning, we're obligated to talk about them on this podcast. Every every single week. It's going to happen all the time. All right. Let's keep it going. Our other candidate here for who won the week, another team that we've talked a decent amount, un, talked about a decent amount, but got to keep doing it at this rate. The Dolphins, man. 29-21. They beat up the Chargers offense. All the Justin Herbert hype train that I was very ready to continue driving based on how good he looked. He looked terrified today. Not surprising. I mean, this is a defense that makes quarterbacks look uncomfortable. They've done it to guys who have been in the league for several years. Not shocking that they do it to, to a guy starting, I think, his eighth game of the season or eighth game of his career. So, I mean, at a certain point, man, the Dolphins look like they might be a real team in the AFC. They're 6-3 and three now. They absolutely are in contention to win that division. They're looking like they're very likely going to get a playoff spot. I mean, is there anything else outside of the defense that's really jumped out to you about the way they've been able to do this? Well, not. I, I just want to mention one thing with the defense too is something I noticed today, and they've done it, but 
they run the one double coverage that Belichick loves. And, you know, Flores has like probably been the best coach ever to kind of copy Belichick's scheme yeah. of any of his assistants. I've the one jobs. double being the, you, you're double the number one receiver on the other team. Correct. So, they yeah. designate the number. So uh, in the, this example, like it was Keenan Allen. So there was one double 13 and they did it a couple of times. And Herbert has done a good job of finding his intent and having a plan going like, Hey, I know this is where I'm supposed to go with this on this play. And he was getting caught. And it was leading to him drifting back in the pocket and not having anywhere to go with the ball like he has been where he drifts back. And he still had a couple of those throws today, good and bad. But it was it was causing double clutch. It was causing pressure. And then they're mixing in their cover zeros and then the fake cover zero stuff. They love to do the drop drop the hot spots. Uh, yeah, they really threw Herbert for a loop today. And I know we were we were on that bandwagon a little bit, but I'm still on a Herbert. That was just a tough that just speaks to how good the Dolphins are doing on defense. They have a plan. And then offensively to a. He's doing he's he, he looks good. I mean, he God, he's just like he speaking of always having a plan like Herbert did. It's just refreshing to see these rookies not just look like spaz attacks that they are just like every play. They look calm, even when stuff's not going right Two, they had the bad fumble on a snap or uh, or where Tua, I think the center got pulled, pushed back into Tua and um, stepped on his foot and the ball fumbled. Chargers are returning it Tua hocked it down, though. It was it was pretty impressive. So on that play. I, I don't know if this is actually what happened. And I think it might have happened in the Browns game, too. It looked like Kilgore was shotgun snapping the ball with two uh, under center. He he did. I mean, there was because it didn't go up at all. It went straight nope. back. Trickle back. So that I would make fun of somebody for doing that. I did the opposite multiple times when I played center in high school. Oh, how'd that feel? It felt very terrible. And people would always give me shit about it. They're like, you can't feel a guy's hands in your crotch. You, you don't know he's not there. And I was like, I'm just locked in, man. I don't know. So I tweeted about it today. And my high school football coach liked the tweet, which just made me feel <laughs> awful. Because he clearly remembers that it happened multiple times. But I've lined up behind the guard before. So th- I, see, I, there I, you go. We I, all, I, we all I, have I our embarrassing up, moments. Started the cadence. And then about midway through, I went easy, easy. And then I shifted over to the center. <laughs> So Herbert goes 20 of 32 for 187 in a pick today. Again, looking uncomfortable. Tua didn't have the best game. You know, that throw yeah. to Jefferson should have been intercepted, the one that eventually got to Shaheen behind him. Mm-hmm. The uh, one he threw to the back, same drive, threw to the back corner of the end zone into traffic. I think you tweeted about this. He looked, there was a couple questionable decisions yeah. on that drive, but that's normal. I mean, he's a rookie quarterback playing against a solid pass defense that the Chargers have. And I think that this was an ugly win for the Dolphins, but they're the type of team right now that's capable of winning ugly. And I think that's why I think there's a team to be reckoned with because their defense is playing so well. You just need to do enough. And I think that they're putting him in positions to do enough right now offensively. I think that they're running the exact types of things where he's going to be able to look good. His first completion of the day today, they ran a little boot concept and he instead of hitting that little flat controller, he waited and hit the second level throw down the left down the sideline. I was like, ooh, that one looks very cool because that's that lefty rollout thing. But two, really mature decision. And you see that from him a decent amount. And the other thing with them that I feel like people we should be talking about, because I think it's a real thing, they seem to be getting one or two big special teams plays a game at this rate. Yes. And yes. I looked it up. Coming into this game, number two in special teams DVOA. And when you think about how well coached they are on offense and defense, it's not surprising at all that the guy who has done the best job of following in Belichick's footsteps as a head coach also has done a great job of building great special teams units because they are consistently adding value in that area of the game. Yeah, and they're getting great plays out of like Jeremiah Grant. You know, and like, you know, yes. he's he's stepping Andrew up. Andrew Van Ginkle is making a play and, once and, a game, man. Go Badgers. Go Badgers. Yeah, I, I, I tweeted that the uh, the outside linebackers for the Dolphins sound like uh, two center backs for the Netherlands soccer team <laughs> because just the Vans going on. That's niche. Uh, so, <laughs> but you know, what's what's cool with Tua is he's better. I wouldn't say explosive, but he's a better athlete than I kind of realized. Like he's, he's twitchy, man. A, functional yeah like he just he's just a good athlete everything looks so smooth and when they wear the all whites too like he just looks like a clean athlete throwing fantastic the ball fantastic like. jersey matchup in this game mm-hmm. just all-time jersey matchup i need more teams to understand what they look good wearing and to lean into it the way that these two teams are oh i know they i mean it just 
just classic looks too. Like, right. Like, like those look timeless. They could have been worn in the seventies, 2020. Yeah. I'm not going to get into like stylistic choices. I'm wearing a freaking <laughs> Minnesota Timberwolves gray shirt right now. So, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's, I, I, I really like the dolphins. It, it's, it's, I'm so glad you brought up the special teams because that just speaks to what Flores is doing down there. They have a plan. And also what's cool is they have those two picks next year, the two first rounders. They can win. They don't have to worry about like, oh, well, we were trying to tank and get another top 10 pick. It's like, no, the Texans are doing that for us. Yeah, we can just win. the Texans lose. Yeah, we'll get that top seven pick from the Texans and we can get our pick in the 20s if we just keep riding this. All right, so I'm glad that you mentioned that because it's time for Would You Rather. Where else would you rather be than right here, right now? All right, so here we go. You have to pick the team that will win the most AFC East titles in the next five years, the team that will own that division. Would you rather have the Patriots, the Bills, or the Dolphins? I'm just going to continue what we're talking about. I'm going to go with the Dolphins. Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's State your case. Yeah. So this is close because I do like what the Bills are doing. I think the Bills are more of a veterany kind of team. I mean, even given with Josh Allen, some of the pieces they have. With the Dolphins, they have those young pieces for those next five years. Not just next this year and next year, but two, three, four, or five years down the road. And they have a plan on defense that's coming to fruition right before our eyes. Like we're seeing this past defense excel and stand out and be something that everyone in the league was watching and going like, holy crap, that's a really good job. And it looks like they got their guy at QB. Uh, it's only a couple starts in, but it looks like they have their future at least a good solid starter of what Tua can be. And if they just need to keep surrounding them, I know Preston Williams is injured, but he's a fun player. Uh, Gelsicki. You know, they went youth at O-line and it's going to pay dividends because even if those some of those guys end up backups, some star, are, are starters, you know, just getting live bullet reps at a young age is so good at a position like O-line. Um, they have a plan of success everywhere they go. They they just look like they know what they're doing as far as drafting. And I trust Flores uh, as a team manager, a personality manager, a game manager. They could have had a bad situation with Rosen. This year, they could have had a bad situation with Fitzpatrick. They Last year, they could they were called you know the tank commander, and they're doing all this. No, they were fighting for him. Every week, it was competitive last week, even with a pretty garbage roster. And this year, now they're getting pieces and a plan, and they're getting what they want. They're investing in premium positions, and they're hitting on some of them. So I, I think it's the Dolphins. I just think they're just they have this nice plan for that's coming to fruition maybe a year earlier than anyone expected, including myself. I'm torn because when you look at what the Patriots have done forever, the fact that they're going to have a bunch of cap space next season, they're kind of a blank slate in a way that a lot of people aren't really considering with all of the space they have with the different directions they could go. And they have a lot of good young pieces on that team. The offensive line will be intact. They still have some pieces in the secondary they can bring back. All stuff to consider. The Bills have been super well managed under yeah. Brandon Bean and Sean McDermott. They've done a fantastic job building this team. I really like the approach that they've taken when it comes to free agency and with just their resources in general. They've done a really good job spreading out free agency money to address a bunch of needs so they can go after the best player available in the draft. This year, the best player available in their minds happened to be Stephon Diggs with that pick. And I've really enjoyed their how, the way that they've done that. And I think they've built a really fantastic roster and they've done everything they can to accentuate the development of Josh Allen. All that said, I am also picking the Dolphins. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's you mentioned it. They have those extra first round picks. They have, you know, that pick could be in the top five plus their own. You have some space next year to work with. They have $154 million on the cap next season. And with a couple cuts, they get to $25 million in cap space easily. And that's even with the cap being at 176. The bills are tapped out. I mean, this is a team that really has kind of pushed it now. This is what we will come to expect from the bills. They are mm -hmm. fully formed as the team they want to be. Yes. And think about it two steps further than that. Josh Allen's going to have to get paid here relatively soon. And the way that he's playing right now, he's going to get paid. And there are mm -hmm. no more middle-class quarterback contracts. His agent <laughs> is going to come in, slide the Jared Koff contract across the table, and say, I think we're done here, and walk out the door. <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen with Brian Dable. The way that he's coaching right now, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he gets some looks this offseason. You think about his mm -hmm. background. He's worked with Belichick. He's worked with Saban. He's been around for a long time, and he's consistently putting his guys in the right positions to succeed on offense. I would definitely take a long look at him if I were trying to hire a head coach.
So Josh Allen could potentially lose the guy who's really turned him into this version of himself. This team is short on resources because they've really pushed all their chips into the middle of the table. The Bills have a 68-year-old offensive coordinator that probably isn't going anywhere and is doing a pretty good job with his young quarterback. They have a young roster that I think is only going to get better from here, and they have the resources to make sure that it only gets better from here. In my opinion, they're the team to reckon with. And you think about how well coached they've looked over these first year and a half with Flores, everything I'd want to see from them, they've done. I think the Bills are going to be a good team for the next couple years, but if I'm thinking long-term right now, the team that could own this division in a post-Tom Brady world, I'm picking the Dolphins. They have a short-term plan, a mid-term plan. They have a long-term plan. It's it, You can see it. And not like I'm just acting like that's some sophisticated thing I'm pointing out. It's it's obvious. It's That's how good the plan is, is because you can see it in, in, unfolding in front of our eyes. And when you look at websites like Tankathon, when they have the Texans pick in the top five. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine this team with Jamar Chase on it. Something yeah. like that. I mean, it's. I don't know if they'll say we need a pass catcher. I think there's smarter people than me running that team, and they probably won't pick a pass catcher in the top five the same way you wouldn't pick one in the top five. <laughs> but still, it's, it's those types of things where this is the first step in what they can be considering the yep. sort of resources they have. They're not tapped out in a way that the Bills might. This Bills roster might be the best Bills roster we see in the Josh Allen era because he's not very making very much money. Yep. That's not going to be the case. When we have four more years after this of Tua on his rookie contract, plus the amount of resources that they have accumulated, whether it's on the cap or in the draft. All right. It's time for Vince to ask the question here. What the hell's going on out here? All right. Each week we have Vince Lombardi ask what the hell is going on. And uh, there are a couple of really good candidates. Oh yeah. And we're going to start with your boy. What the hell is going on with Drew Locke, man? Drew Locke on his receivers. That's <laughs> just the easy pun. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I know I'm going for the low hanging fruit. I love how he turns you into a 68 year old man. It's, when you talk and think about Drew Locke, do you instantly have a bunch of Werther's originals in your pocket? Do they just appear out of thin air? I just feel like the Moneyball Scouts, just like sitting there, like who's uh, <laughs> just here, like who's honestly though. <laughs> honestly though, I I come I I sort of am the same way. Yeah. I, for whatever reason, you watch him play, and it's like, oh, all right, I, I, I want him to be good. He's a Mizzou guy. He's fun. <laughs> he seems like a good dude. But you watch it, and it's like, I just don't think this guy has it, man. So the Broncos get stomped today by a score of 37-12 to 12 against the Raiders. So he goes 23-47 for 257 and four interceptions. Mm. And he should have lost the fumble inside his own five. It's not as if this happened against the Steelers or the Bucks or any of those teams. It happened against one of objectively the worst defenses in the NFL. Sometimes when you throw four interceptions in a game, you go back and think, oh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, you have a tip ball here, a tip ball there. You go back and watch those four interceptions. One, it was lucky to be four. Yeah. Two, he earned all four of them. It's hard to stack up which decision was worse than the last one because every single one of them seemed equally bad. I mean, the one to Jeff Heath in the end zone I'm still trying to figure out Bad. what he was thinking when he threw that ball. Maybe he thinks that Judy was going to cross his face. Heath was already breaking on the ball mm -hmm. when he threw it. Everything about that setup tells you not to throw that ball. But as you say, Drew locked on his receivers. He's yeah, throwing exactly dude. where he's going to. Come hell or high water, I defenders was just about be damned. to say, hell or high water, he is going worth what pre-snap, what he thinks. You even can tell on that second pick to, or that pick to Judy where he was thrown or Heath, but he was thrown to Judy. He steps all the way in the bucket, all the way to the left, and he's totally opened up because he doesn't even trust it. He's just like, I know I shouldn't be throwing this, but screw it. And he tries to whip it in there, and they have a plan for it on the play. So I know it's not poor design. They have the glancer out, and then they have a little check down underneath. And on those types of routes where it's just a, the X receiver and a running back, it's one to two. And that's your that's your progression. Nope. Locked in. He was getting that. And it was it was bad. It was right before the half. Uh the, I mean, he just can't help himself. I mean, there's a mess of people. Like he keeps throwing into like these double and triple coverage situations, and he's getting his guys killed. So it, it, it reminds me of this uh, this game I played like in high school. The video game was called like Need for Speed, something or another. And you get more points based on the crashes you make, and that's what like him on these interceptions kind of is like. It's just like he wants more style points, either on the touchdowns or on the interceptions. He just Which, wants carnage. Honestly, 
I respect him for it. It's an admirable <laughs> way to play quarterback, and I it's it's I I really do get it. But I wouldn't want him to be the quarterback of my football no. team if that's the approach that we're taking. So, no. Drew Lock came into this game, I believe, uh, second to last among quarterbacks in EPA per play. Sam Darnold is the king currently, but Sam Darnold is in as bad of a circumstance as you could possibly be in for a quarterback. After this game, I assume Drew Lock may take the negative EPA per play crown from Sam Darnold. It, it, he definitely was dead last today, I think, among quarterbacks. So, I mean, it, it's in he's within striking distance, we'll say. Yeah. I think those two names are interesting to kind of mention together. Because if you're the Broncos and you see what you've gotten from Drew Locke this year, even with Cortland Sutton out, even with some of the inj- other injuries they've dealt with, even with the injuries that he's dealt with, offensive line has been solid but not mm-hmm. great. First year in a new system, all that. I still don't think if you're the Broncos, you can look at what you've gotten from Drew Locke and say, I want to sign up for another year of this. It's not like you drafted Drew Locke in the top 10. You didn't yep. trade a bunch of future picks to go up and get Drew Locke in the first round. You traded back up in the second round, but you had already accumulated picks from the Devin Bush trade, whatever. It's not the sort of investment teams often make in their future franchise quarterback. There is nothing that says you cannot move on from Drew Locke after this season. If you're the Broncos and you have built this group of pass catchers that I think could end up being pretty good, Judy looks like he's really coming on. You get Sutton mm-hmm. back next year. Fant, Alberto, an offensive line that looks a lot better with Garrett Bowles is kind of a sentence here. Mm-hmm. I think you need to do everything you can to get the most out of that group, and I don't think the answer is Drew Locke. So in your mind, are the Broncos the type of team that should maybe consider trading a second-round pick for Sam Darnold? Should maybe consider trying to go into the veteran quarterback market if a guy like Matthew Stafford or someone else comes on the market? Do you think we've already seen enough from Locke to say, this is not going to work? I think what's what's good for them, what's uh, silver lining to all this, is any path they want to go down on the quarterback other than Drew Locke it, is viable. Like you said, the veteran, the trade for Sam Darnold, like I, this, that's a risk reward. But it's if you really trust your pro scouting and and really what you think you can get out of them. This roster, I, I, I was on a show before the season on a podcast, and when talking about Drew Locke and and the Broncos offense, I said they really took every excuse out of the book for him. You know that what just they put around mm-hmm. him. Now you know Sutton's out. I get that, but they still have some nice pieces around him, and he just isn't getting it done. And it's not like the offensive line is. We, we said it's okay. It's above average. They got a really good coach there, so that's taking some excuses away from there too. So yeah, I think it's whatever avenue they decide to go down, whether it's finding a free agent, uh, free agent veteran, trading for somebody or drafting somebody because this is a QB rich draft. It's they could go down any path. So I guess that is a silver lining for what they have. But yeah, I, I'm totally out on lock. I, I have never really had a foot into it, but I kind of it's just like the the election. I've seen enough. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at a certain point, there's no reason to throw good money after bad. I mean, you don't yeah. have to commit to this. And I think we've seen teams really get rewarded by their willingness to say, this is not the right answer. We have to find the right answer. I mean, imagine if the Cardinals had stuck with Josh Rosen. Yeah, there, There's nothing that forces you to do it. I think understanding you made a mistake and trying to correct for that mistake, especially when you put a support system in place that you think can buoy the right quarterback, I think your number one priority should be finding the guy to get the most out of the supporting cast that you've tried to build around him. So let's get to another one here. What the hell is going on with the Philadelphia Eagles? I said this today. I can't remember who it was. I can't remember who I said it to. But they mentioned that the Eagles are just terribly boring to watch and pretty awful. And when I watch the Bears offense, I can't imagine that there are worse offenses than the Bears. And statistically, there are. And the Eagles are one of them. And then you go and you watch the Eagles. It's like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. They're definitely worse. And when I watch them play, and I'm curious what you think are kind of the issues and what, how you diagnose them. But remember that episode of Parks and Rec where they have that contest among all the departments to see who can make the best mural? Yeah. And everybody in the Parks and Rec team contributes whatever their hand is to the mural. Like April has that human hamster wheel and Tom pays the art student for the shapes. Yeah. And... The final product, Mark says, that's a camel. You made a camel. The Eagles offense is a camel. (laughs) 
Because it's all of these things that they've tried to put together. Like they brought in Rich Scangarello and they brought in this and they brought Mm -hmm. in that. And you see some of it. You see like the under center play action flood stuff. It was actually the best Mm -hmm. stuff they did today on their one solid drive. But then you have the RPO stuff and it's just all these different influences come together. And when you look at it, it's a mess. It makes Mm -hmm. no sense. There's no cohesion to it. They're just trying to see what sticks. It reminds me a lot of what another uh, Andy Reid disciple is doing in Chicago right now. Yep. So when you watch their offense, do you think that it's do you think it's that simple? Do you think it's just too many things coming together in a way that doesn't work? What do you think is holding them back what right now? Yeah, it, it's it's Frankenstein's monster. That's what it looks like just yeah. with all the stuff they're trying to do. And I that was one of my worries. I uh, I have mentioned it offhand is that with that staff and all the chefs they have in the kitchen, you know, that's maybe a little too many voices in Wentz's ear. I don't know how their power structure is, so I don't know who actually might have it, but that's where that convoluted mess comes from. We praise the Shanahan's and the McVeigh's of the world and, and the Sean Payton's of the world. Cause it looks like all their stuff has a purpose, uh, a purpose. Yes. And a, Hey, it I'm really setting up this to do this. And, all of a sudden you watch this and it's just that was actually one of the um, when Andy Reid sometimes would have a blemish game or, you know, they weren't scoring, you know, <laughs> pre Mahomes, if anyone can imagine that, you know, it was only a couple of years ago. People say, oh, it's a Mickey Mouse offense. Oh, it's a gimmick offense. He just takes away seats from college like that was, you know, oh, he's just it's all gimmicky. It's all gimmicky. But, you know, it, it had a purpose like most of the stuff he did. Andy Reid has always done has a purpose. Now they've really honed in on what he likes and what they like. These guys kind of got that bad side from Andy Reid, the Nagy's of the world, and and what the Eagles guys are doing is that they kind of got that Mickey Mouse gimmicky stuff, but then they don't have the substance behind it. That's what it seems like to me. They're like, hey, this is a cool play. Put it on the board. Hey, this is a cool play. Put it on the board. And then again to Sunday, and they're like, hey, geez, all these like there's 20 new plays that we put in this week. These are all pretty awesome. And the guys are just playing slow. Wentz is looking all over the place. He's not comfortable with what with what they're running, even if it's stuff he's run before, because just maybe the looks are different. Even stuff like exchanges are hard for them right now. Like just QB center exchanges with veterans, with Pro Bowl guys, and the guy just- he's played with for years. Years and they're both like trustworthy guys. I mean, well, Wentz says his mistakes and everything, but Kelsey, I mean, and then they're dropping shock or Wentz is dropping shotgun snaps and then they're running the hell out of the ball. I will give them credit with that, but they did run is, the ball well a, today. Yeah, it's a convoluted mess, though. It really is. And it looks like it. It's not just like, oh, I watched all 22 and that's this is what I'm seeing. It's like you watch that on Sunday, it looks hard. They make offense look hard. And uh, yeah, like you said, it probably feels at home. For any Bears fans watching it too, especially with some of the copycat stuff they try to do. Like Eagles are trying to do that. They're doing the one by three where, you know, with the Chiefs do it, Kelsey at the X. One by three, tight end being the strong guy with the trips on the other side. They try to do it, but then they don't do it in the right way. They attach the tight end. They don't get the space, like in the ISOs that I know everyone's not Travis Kelsey, but it's like, okay, it's like a fu- evil funhouse mirror version of the Chiefs offense. And Chicago has a version and Philly has a version. I love how we're talking about the Eagles and we still managed to just get some side punches on the Bears offense. But, but, I, but I do think it's worth mentioning because yeah. I do think a lot of the issues are the same. And I think they come from the same place. Yep. So when the Eagles were rattling off those wins, rattling off, when they won a couple games, when they beat the Niners, when they beat the Giants, when they beat the Cowboys, you think, all right, this is a garbage division, but it still looks like they're going to win. The Eagles are 3-5-1 and one now. The Eagles' next five games are as follows. At the Browns. Could absolutely lose that game. Browns oh, are yeah. a better team than the Eagles, even if the Browns aren't very good. The Seahawks. Still much better than the Eagles, despite yes. their recent struggles. At the Packers. Okay. <laughs> Saints. Cardinals. <laughs> it is well. not a stretch at all. To say we could be sitting at three ten and one for Philadelphia here in a month. The Giants, next five games. The Giants are three and seven. They have equaled the Eagles in the win column. Also get the Seahawks, the Ravens, and the Cardinals. The Ravens okay. will be talk I know we didn't talk about enough at all about that game. We'll be talking a lot about the Ravens and the Raiders on Wednesday's show. So we will be getting to those teams. I do not want to seem like we're just blazing by them. But over. Seahawks, Ravens, Cardinals. Tough games. They probably could lose those. They also get the Bengals in that stretch, though, and the Browns. They absolutely, I'm talking about the Eagles here, could lose control of this division to a Giants team that I think is actually okay on defense. Yeah. Like, I, the, the moves they made this offseason, a lot of people were 
hesitant and skeptical about them, understandably so. The Bradbury contract, the Martinez contract, both of those guys are playing out of their minds. Bradbury is top tier. Like, I thought he was very good or good, but he is like top three in the in the league right now. He is playing out of his mind. They ran a play today. It was a third down, and they tried to run a little pick play on the right side. And he was on the he was the outside corner working through the pick from number one inside. Just went right over it and just managed to knock the ball away on the third down. Just it didn't even look like the guy was there. I was like, Jesus, like this guy is like <laughs> and he's been doing that all season. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, Martinez, there was a story that we did at the Athletic that I thought was really interesting about how he was allergic to eggs. And he took okay. out dairy from his diet, and he just feels like a ton better. He's not feeling lethargic anymore, everything else. But I talked to Blake a couple weeks ago for something I was working on, and he just feels like his role was a lot more distilled in this defense. He had a lot of really nice things to say about Patrick Graham. I think they're doing a lot of interesting things defensively, the Giants mm-hmm. are. This Especially third down, yeah. Yes, and I think, I mean, they're... I think he's doing a good job of taking some really good lessons from that Belichick background and implementing it here. I think their Mm -hmm. defense is much better coached than their offense is. Mm -hmm. So if the Giants are feisty and they're sticking around here and the Eagles end up not winning this division, we shouldn't judge the Eagles season based on whether they win or lose the NFC East. But if they do end up losing this division, what happens? Right. I mean, I just it feels like you can't move on from this staff three years removed from them winning a Super Bowl, but we've run out of excuses. Even this week, it's like, all right, well, you know, they've been banged up all year. You have Goddard back now. You have Jason Peters and Lane Johnson back. You have the receiving core back to a certain degree. Miles Sanders played today, and they still can't beat the Giants. So I just don't know where you go from here if you're this Eagles team. And that's just a crazy thing to be saying three years removed from them being the best team in the NFL, I think by a decent margin. And competitive the years after. And on top of that, they're about... just being a nightmare in terms of injuries. Losing everybody. And that's what was scary. That's what you thought. It was like, well, that's them with injuries. Imagine them when they're healthy and they're restocking the cupboard. And they're entering the seventh circle of cap hell after this season. Like that, They have that come down the line, too. Pushing all your chips in, and they've been yeah. paying on the credit card for a while now. <laughs> it's 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 pretty ugly, but yeah, it, it's you still. I don't know. I really don't know. I can't. I can't even go on a rant to defend it right now <laughs> because, like, like you said, they're getting healthy. They're getting the guys back. They have the same guy, like same staffing guys, defense coordinator, offensive play callers, same minds in the building for the most part. You know, they had a little bit of a brain drain. But it's not, you know, was John DeFilippo, you know, the guy there? Well, but I think no, Frank I Reich think... is going to be the question. Is Frank it, Reich was, is How much one. was losing Frank Reich and how much of an issue was that? He's done a fantastic job. Awesome job. Since leaving. But the problem is, and I don't want to you know, compare this too much to the Bears situation, but it's not dissimilar where they made the changes on the offensive staff. They tried to do some reshuffling over there and some reorganizing to say, can we jumpstart this a little bit? And it still hasn't worked. So if you've done that, if you've made those changes, you've already kind of committed that act of desperation by shuffling your offensive yeah. staff. How much more desperate can you get? And it just feels like they're going to be grasping at straws here because I don't think there's an easy answer to any of these questions. It's funny. It's like usually all these staffs that come under heat, they almost kind of goes down the same narrative every time or same uh like dominoes fall. It's like, okay, first it's maybe a player change, personnel change. Okay, then it's assistant coaches get fired then coordinators getting fired or scouts getting fired or regional directors getting fired and then it's like okay well we're on the last envelope and that has the the head coaches or gm's names on it like but that's yeah that's the narrative it's gone down who who knows with this team it's such a weird team that's the only way to describe it like you yeah yeah they just have no so like other teams have had those silver linings the silver linings for this is like that what it's you know you have a broken wentz to build around or what else can they do like (laughs) you know it's gonna be really fun when the rams have to go to philadelphia and they lose to this team in the wild card round (laughs) and i cry (laughs) that's exactly what's gonna happen right 17 13 like 17 13 couple couple fluky plays fumble in the red zone that got maybe returned to the five yard line. Yeah. And then like a missed field goal or like a missed opportunity at the end where he throws a pick. And then, and then it was just like, wow. 
just saved his job in Philadelphia. <laughs> yeah, it, that's exactly what's going to happen. It, it, it's uh, it's inevitable at this point. It's November 16th. I'm already pissed off that I have to watch the Eagles play a playoff game a month and a half from now. But again, I don't think this is a given the same way it was a couple weeks ago. They are absolutely playing poorly enough to blow this. And the Giants might just... The fact that the Giants offense for the first quarter of this game today was just Daniel Jones read option plays and yep. the Eagles couldn't do anything about it, I think is all you need to know about the state of the NFC East race. Uh, I, I had a play tweeted, the Giants, uh, the Giants had two guys run the same exact route on third down. Like they ran the same route. Both uh, in the uh, Philadelphia coverage, the Eagles coverage, busted. So both guys, even though they're running the same route about a yard away from each other, were both wide open in the middle of the field, and the ball got dropped. And I was just like, that, that's that's the NFC East right there. <laughs> you got to bust the coverage. Two guys run the same route. Drop ball. All right, fourth down. NFC East. I, I, there's no other way we can end the show. All right, that's all we got for this <laughs> uh, week, bud. Really appreciate it as always, and thank you to everybody for listening. Before we get out of here, a few things I want to mention. One, please go listen to the Football GM with Randy Mueller and Mike Sando on Tuesday. Those guys do a fantastic job. Mike is one of my favorite people. Uh, just one of the best wealth, just one of the, the best fountains of knowledge when it comes to the NFL that you could possibly imagine. Also, please rate and review our show on your podcast platform of choice. It would mean a lot to me. You'd be doing me a favor. And please subscribe to The Athletic. It's athletic.com slash football show. It's a dollar a week. I spent $5 on coffee this morning. A dollar a week is worth how much you'll be learning with the subscription to The Athletic. We'll be back on Wednesday with a really fun lineup of guests for you. Again, a lot of Raiders talk with the guys covering the Raiders for The Athletic. A lot of Lamar Jackson talk with our very special guest. Until then, though, thank you so much for listening to The Athletic Football Show. We'll talk to you guys later. This was the Athletic Football Show.